This morning, if you turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 5. Now, I've taken a relatively large passage of Scripture here for a reason. I believe that we can make it through in the remaining time. But I do have a point at which I may alter the amount of Scripture that we try and get through. And I, I would begin this morning by saying this. Isn't it funny how many people can complain about the things that God is doing, even when they're really good? Uh, I was kind of shocked. I Typically, when we do our festival, I usually wander around and kind of just talk to people and see what they're doing, what they're thinking, and I typically try and seek out people I don't know, which means they're usually folks from the community. And it's funny how many people had some offhanded comment that was critical. Well, you know, you should do this. You only have two types of hot dogs. There are six types of hot dogs, you know. You know, and then we have the legalists that come along. How come you do this? You're just exalting this pagan holiday, you know. You have the professionals. Oh, I could do that better. I didn't see your name on the list, bub. (laughs) Same criticisms that existed in Jesus' day exist today. The question is, How will you respond when the critics come? And that is our passage this morning in our Savior Saga, part 12. Uh, We're about to get to the Beatitudes. We'll spend some time there. But the criticism of the Lord begins. Now, remember what he's done. He's made some fishermen prosperous. He's healed a leper. He's just doing these wonderful things for which all people ought to be thankful. Amen? Now, if you have a problem with people catching more fish than they used to, there's something wrong with you. If you have a problem with a leper being healed, there's something wrong with you. And yet, the professionals, the religious critics, the religionists of that day, and the religionists, the legalists of our day, still can find ways to complain. Watch how the Lord handles this. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Lord, for your goodness to us. We, we just are so grateful that you would take us and, and speak to us by your word. And God, we just give you this time. And, and Lord, we invite you to move in a powerful way. Lord, that you would anoint us to receive from your Holy Spirit the words that you have for us this day. Lord, bless us, use us, convince and convict us, Lord. We're grateful. We're thankful. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Verse 16 here in Luke 5. And so he himself often withdrew to the wilderness and prayed that he is Jesus. And now it happened on a certain day that he was teaching, that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town in Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. You see, the Holy Spirit is going to bear witness to two very specific groups of people here. The Pharisees, and the professionals. The Pharisees were the legalists of that day. 
They were the people who said, we've been doing these things this way for a long time. We have religious tradition on our side. We have our practices. We have our principles. We have our prejudices. And we're right and you're wrong. Oh boy, do we still have Pharisees today. Bumped into one of them down at the men's conference in Anaheim. Guy who had nothing better to do with his time but to stand around and find a reason to bellyache about 10,000 men wanting to worship Jesus. Oh, you're doing it wrong. You're not warriors. Really. And the professionals. It actually translates doctor, if you will. The intellectual. The person who says that they're too smart to go listen to that dumb Jeff Gill. He has no degrees on his wall in theology. Did you hear what I just said? Rather have the anointing of the Lord than all the degrees in the world. Because I've seen the smartest people you can possibly imagine that spiritually had zero to offer. Matter of fact, they sucked the spirituality out of others. The problem's still the same. And I want you to take just a quick note of what it says in verse 16. And I want to address something that sometimes people struggle with. Jesus withdrew himself into the wilderness and prayed. I want to remind you again that Jesus was fully man. Jesus did not in his flesh have the capacity to go 90 hours a week, seven days a week, did not have the capacity to do everything for everyone because he was a man. And so he took some time to go get refreshed. Please don't begrudge anyone the need to get refreshed. To go hear from the Lord. To stop for a moment and receive. One of the things that tears down more pastors and more ministries than anything else is that thinking, wrongly so, that I might add to that, that God needs them. God does not need me. God delights to use me. God wants to use me, but God doesn't need me. And so one of the ways that he keeps me in the place where I can be used is that I spend time with Jesus, that I take a break every once in a while, because what ministry requires is not a 40-hour work week. I don't punch a clock. You all don't get sick when it's convenient, okay? You all don't go to the hospital when it's convenient. Your, your kids don't go off the deep end when it's convenient. You don't have marital problems when it's convenient. And consequently, you have issues that I believe the Lord might use me to, to minister in. And this is true for every pastor, not just me. Every pastor who rightly divides the word of truth is flesh being used for spiritual things. Amen? We need to get refreshed. That's why I tell our staff here at this church, 
you need to go spend time with your family and your Lord. Because if you don't, pretty soon all that will be left is flesh. And the arm of flesh does not do the work of the Lord. Critically important meeting was coming up, and so Jesus goes and spends time with God. Spend some time praying. Now we come to that meeting. And it came to pass on a certain day, says there in verse 17, that as he was teaching, so he's engaged, he's back now, he's come from the wilderness, he's spent some time getting refreshed. We would call that having a devotional life, by the way. Getting personal filling from the Lord. We need that. That there were... The NASB says, Pharisees, doctors of the law sitting by. So you have the legalists and you have the intellectuals, which were come out of every town in Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. You see, this was a divine appointment. This was a divine appointment. This was a time in the life of Jesus when he was divinely appointed to this critical meeting, and the Holy Spirit would actually confirm in front of two very important groups exactly who Jesus was. And he needed to be ready for it. And he was ready for it, as we'll see as we continue this passage this morning. But you see, from the Pharisees' position, they thought they knew it all. And from the legalists' position, that pharisaical position, they thought they could do it all. And from the intellectual position, they figured if they didn't know it, it wasn't worth knowing. Amen? I would say to you today that those groups of people still very much exist in our world. And you will run into them as you minister the truth of God's Word. You see, people very often have a problem with the simplicity of the gospel, don't they? If you gave them some long, drawn-out process that took many years, you told them to shave their head, get a nice brown robe, throw on a four-pound cross, and head off to some monastery, oh, yeah, well, I feel holy now. And yet your Bible says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. That is not of yourself. It's a gift of God. So that not one of us can boast about it. I'm not going to get to heaven and go, man, Lord, didn't I just do awesome? I'm going to get to heaven and go, Lord, thank you. Because apart from you, I can do nothing. But I can also, by you, through Christ, do all things as he strengthens me. You see, it's this crazy, paradoxical view. You see, on one hand, God delights to use us. On the other hand, he functions at an operational deficit in doing so. Isn't that crazy? Because God would be better off if he did not have all of my little quirks to work with, okay? He would be much better off. So I'll get rid of that, and I'll not use this, and I won't use that. And it's like, and then here's the essence of the gospel. But because God loves people so much, he uses people. The Pharisees hated that. Commoners? No way. Matter of fact, John's Gospel records for us in the first chapter, verse 46. Can 
anything good come from Nazareth. That was the prevailing Jewish opinion. It's kind of like, you went to Crafton Hills College? You know, you know how there's kind of that little downplay on the junior college intellectual? It's like, wow, you went to a junior college. We get it all the time about Calvary Chapel Bible. You went to Calvary Chapel Bible College? Can I remind you that of the ten largest churches in America that are winning people to Christ by the thousands, four of them are Calvary Chapels? And all four of those pastors... Not one of them has a single degree. Not one. Yeah, we've got some pretty bright guys. Steve Mays, got a doctorate from APU. Raul Reese, got a doctorate from APU. But God can still speak through donkeys and does. Amen? Rocks, trees, bushes. God very frequently speaks to me through cars going down the hill. (laughs) Jeff, you need to grow. And patience when it has its purpose. I don't want to hear about it, Lord. You see, the professionals, the religionists, would get in their car and drive down the hill. Get on my way. Heathen. Heathen. Coming through. You see, in the minute they begin to speak, they draw a crowd. And I'm going to say something right now, and I do not intend to offend. But I think it's worthy of saying. You need to be very careful that you're following Jesus. Jesus. To be a disciple of Jesus is to be a follower of Jesus taught by Jesus. That doesn't mean that you're a follower of R.C. Sproul or John MacArthur. It doesn't mean you're a follower of Chuck Smith. It doesn't mean that you're a follower of any man. It means you're a follower of Jesus. You see, because if you follow a man, eventually the man runs out of wisdom and starts saying really dumb things things. We all do it. I've listened to some of my own messages over years and decades now. I'm like, man, I can't believe I said that. Where did that come from? That would be, I'm not God. I'm not Jesus. You see, but these guys wanted to be followed themselves. And there is a huge difference, and we're not talking about Paul's admonition to follow me as I follow Christ, okay? Paul never told anyone to follow him as in him, but follow him as he followed Christ. I got to follow Pastor Chuck as he followed Christ. But was he perfect? Not in your life, and neither am I. And he would tell you the same thing were he here, but he's enjoying heaven right now. You see, be careful, because you're going to see it here. Because these guys were the professionals, okay? 
These were the most learned men. Remember, there was no New Testament circulating. At the time of the writing of Luke's letter, possibly the Gospel of Mark had been written. Possibly. There was no New Testament. The only Bible they knew was the Old Testament. And so if you're talking about people with Old Testament knowledge, there was nobody greater than the Pharisees. And there was nobody greater than the teachers of the law. Do you remember when Paul said about himself as a Pharisee, faultless? As a Jew, I've kept the law. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. That's the religious court. He was both of these guys. He was a Pharisee and a professor of law at Hebrew University there on the Temple Mount at the time. He was both. And yet he wrote the book of Romans. Amen? Amen? No book of Romans? Martin Luther does not start and launch the Reformation, okay? He stands up and he says, I'm saved by grace and through faith and those things alone. No religion does it. No law can do it. And so much so did he believe that, that not only did he craft the book of Romans under the influence of the Holy Spirit, but he also wrote the book of Galatians, which was directly to those who were still clinging to the law. But he was going to get criticized. You see, because Jesus was going to do some things that religionists and intellectuals hate. He was going to have grace. And he was going to walk in freedom. And he was going to take that liberty to love the Lord. He was going to say to his Father, God, what a joy it is to worship you. You see, religionists hate that. They want to bring you into their bondage. They want to drag you down to the place to where you're reduced to nothing but spiritual rubble. Do it our way or hit the highway. And so he begins to be criticized. He's going to disregard the religious taboos. He's going to work on the Sabbath. Oh, no! He's going to what? He's going to make a disciple out of a publican, a tax collector? Are you crazy? I mean, now, I personally believe that IRS agents cannot be saved, but it's... I'm just kidding. See how you all laughed? That was exactly how they responded, and that's why I did it. Are you nuts? An IRS agent? An agent of the Roman government can be saved? Not only can it, surely you're not going to, you're going to what? You're going to make him a disciple? You get the picture? You have your preconceptions too, don't you? You just expressed them. I kind of had to think about that for a second. Now let me help you take it a little further. That drug addict. That prostitute. 
that person who is a thief, a liar. How many things would you and I hold up and say, see, they can't be saved. They can't be used. That's not the Lord. And I want you to see first the silent criticism. And frankly, this is the type of criticism that to me is the most nefarious. When I think of people who lack the intestinal fortitude spiritually to actually say what it is that they believe, to me that is the most appalling. I really don't have a problem with people who come and express their viewpoints openly, but I sure am bothered by the people who simply want to gossip and complain. And then behold, verse 18 says, Men brought a bed of a man who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring in and lay before him. And remember, as you saw Peter's house, there's actually a little portico shear that would go around the house. It's kind of like a, a building in the center with what we would call a veranda all the way around it. And Jesus likely was not inside because the Pharisees wouldn't have sat with him. So the Pharisees and the professionals were indoors. Jesus probably sat at the door of the house. And as he sat at the door of the house, he could actually address the crowd, and that's who he cared about anyway. And so as he addresses the crowd, the people are trying to get through the crowd. They realize they can't do that. So they went to the house next door, which also had a roof. They stepped across onto the porticashir, and now they're on top of the house upon which Jesus is speaking out on the porch. And that porch would have had a thatched roof. The house itself likely had a rolled mud roof. And so here comes the story. And when they could not find how they could bring him in because of the crowd, they went up onto the housetop and let him down on his bed through the tiling into the midst before Jesus. So likely not indoors, likely outdoors. And when he saw their faith, he said to them, Man, your sins are forgiven you. Why did Jesus say that? He was responding to their faith. He's not responding to their actions. He's not responding to their works. He's responding to their faith. For without faith, the book of Hebrews says, it's impossible to please God. And the scribes and the Pharisees noticed this, and these things are all silent, began to reason. You can almost hear them huffing and puffing. It's like, I can't believe that they, these simpletons, these intellectually challenged folks, I mean, leave it to these hicks to bust open the roof, to drop some dude down in front of Jesus. They began to reason, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Realize what they're already saying. He just said he could forgive sin. Are you kidding me? If you don't realize why this bothered them, I want to encourage you to read Exodus chapter 20, the the beginning of the giving of the law. Moses is on Mount Sinai until chapter 31, receiving from the Lord. 
11 full chapters of do this, don't do that. Do this, don't do that. Here's what I want from you. Here's what I will not accept from you. And then after you finish with that, and you, you want to harm yourself. Read the book of Leviticus. More of the same. And then imagine yourself as a Pharisee knowing all these things that need to be done because there is no New Testament age of grace yet. And Jesus says, without a single dove offering, without a single grain offering, without a wave offering, without the breaking of bread, without the shedding of blood, with nothing. No temple sacrifices. Not a thing do they do. Nothing. No work whatsoever, he says to them, your sins are forgiven you. Now you know why they were mad. Because Jesus in one fell swoop said, the law can't save you. It's not he who dies with the most toys that wins. Amen? You win nothing. And so they say, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Well, duh. That would be exactly what he was getting at. Sometimes when people say, well, you know, Jesus never called himself God. And I will say to them, directly did he call himself Yahweh Lord of hosts? No, but he said, I am that I am. The self-caused cause of everything else. He called himself God. And here he claims to be able to forgive sin. The Jews knew that was him saying he's declaring himself to be God. Jesus absolutely said he was God. He just did it in such a way that people had to think about it. That's why you need to know your Bible. I love what comes next. Who can forgive sins but God alone? But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, notice how it's silent. This isn't him retorting to something they were saying. This is Jesus knowing what they're saying, and they're saying it either silently, inaudibly, or just thinking it. Perceived their thoughts. So when we say that God knows the intent of your heart, and that it's deceitful and desperately wicked, who are you going to believe, yourself or God? God knows what's in there for all of us. Now, praise God, we're redeemed and our minds are being transformed. Amen? So we don't think like we used to, but we're also not far from those things sometimes that could trip us up. Know that God sees past all of your stuff. Every attempt that you have to present something to the world, ultimately to try and fool both the world and God about where you are, Jesus sees right through it. <laughs> right through it. And so he says, Can you imagine what they thought? Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Why are you trying to turn this into works? Why are you trying to think this through? Why are you trying to make a mental issue out of this when this is purely spiritual? 
I didn't tell him to rise up and go do something. I said, your sins are forgiven you. Period. For if we confess. Amen? He is faithful and just to forgive. Amen? And to cleanse. Amen? Did you hear any part of that verse there in 1 John 1, 9 that says, if you do this or if you do that? Not a bit. The words of faith are sufficient to gain the healing of God. Now, once that happens, you are and I am to go and sin no more. Amen? You are and I am then to walk in the Spirit, not in the flesh. Amen? But those are after you've received the grace of God. You cannot earn the grace of God. You will never earn the grace of God. And there was not a thing this man could do for himself. And that's the beautiful picture of it. He couldn't even get to Jesus by himself. He had to be helped to even get there. But he believed that Jesus could heal. Amen? That's faith. That's not reason. That's why Jesus says, why are you reasoning? It won't make any sense. I often say when teaching apologetics, if you can talk someone into being saved, they can also be talked out of being saved. It's not about simple reasoning. It's not about having the best argument, though argumentation in a biblical sense is well and good, and you should know how to argue reason for your faith. But it doesn't save anybody. Faith saves people. If you believe by faith that Jesus Christ is who He said He is, that God raised Him from the dead, you'll be saved. Not if you can write a thesis on whether Jesus is actually the only Son of God. Because frankly, I haven't met a person yet who could adequately defend that thesis on their own. I couldn't do it. And I've taught soteriology in college. The doctrine of salvation. And I can tell you that human reasoning always falls apart, and you're always in need of faith to believe. Always. And forever. That's why your Bible says it. For which is easier to say? Check this out. And yes, we're only going to get to this end of this particular passage. We're not going to get the rest of it today. (laughs) Sorry, but you're just going to have to wait. Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven you? Or to say, rise up and walk? Ask yourself that question. Ask yourself that question. Which is easier to say? What is it? I say to you, to have your sins forgiven. Amen? You want to know how I know that? All of the churches in the world. All of the religious books ever written. All of the great commentators and commentaries that have ever been authored. Every denomination thinks they have it right. You know the one common thread that if they're actually rightly teaching the Word of God that comes back through everything, it's not sound doctrine, though it's very important to have sound doctrine. Don't misunderstand what I'm going to say here. It's to believe by faith. 
Nobody gets saved because they know for sure the earth is only 6,000 years old. Nobody gets saved because they imminently can defend the doctrine of the rapture of the church. Nobody gets saved because they can recount every Old Testament prophecy of the coming Messiah. Nobody gets saved because they can rattle off the books of the Bible in order. Nobody gets saved because they went to Bible college. Nobody gets saved unless they believe by faith. Period. So which is harder? Obviously, it's to say your sins are forgiven you. Amen? Jesus is making them think or rise up and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on the earth to forgive sins, notice why He does what He does. Can you see it? He doesn't do the miracle because they need the information. He does the miracle so that they can know He can forgive sin. That's why the church that does not deliver the gospel message but simply does the social things has failed. That's why all of the good works throughout time, as good as they may well be, we should care that people have AIDS. We should care that there are people starving. We should care that they don't have clean water. And we should be doing something about it. But those things don't save unless you preach the gospel of Christ. Amen? You can't just feed people and have them get saved. You feed them so that you can feed them the gospel. We didn't just hand out eight tons of candy so that we could cause the dentist on the mountain to have more business. Amen? In Jesus' name, Patty's her office is full already. The crowns have been released. Crown him with many crowns. The favorite dentist him. It just came to me. <laughs> but it's that type of understanding that a lot of the church has that we just do these things and people will be okay. Jesus said the faith part first. He said, by faith, rise up and walk. By faith, your sins are forgiven you. By faith, these things are done. Not, hey, man, we really need to figure out how did he manipulate the molecules of the air to go over there and touch that guy's body and move around all of his parts and, you know, he's got a sickness and all of a sudden he's healed. Man, what do we think about this? God does what God does because God is God. Amen? Leave God in charge of the universe. Sometimes we have to have an answer for everything. Let me give you a little secret after walking with the Lord for three decades. God doesn't tell you all the answers. He leaves you in need of faith. You may not like that. You may not be able to defend everything adequately with intellectual reasoning. But I can tell you what will bridge that gap. By faith, I believe. And so he finishes this up, and we'll end with this part of the passage this morning. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. And he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house.
and immediately Jesus did nothing but speak to him. He didn't anoint him with oil, which we do, by the way, if someone's sick, because the Bible says to do it. But there's nothing special about the oil. It's a work of the Spirit. It's by faith that that healing is received. He says, immediately he rose up before them and took what he had been lying on and departed to his own house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed, and they glorified God, and were filled with fear, saying, Yikes, we didn't do that. Ah, what happened? The word strange here means to be in wonderment or awe. How do you do that? I don't have an answer. You know, I've been studying medicine as much as it can be studied in our day and time, and I've never seen such a thing. He was flatlined. And Jesus said, rise up and walk. That you might know that he has the power to forgive sin. Not heal people that you know that he would have the power to forgive sin. Don't forget that part. The reason the church does what it does is so that they might know that Christ has the power to forgive sin. Amen? That's what we're about. That is the main thing. It's not to just simply meet the needs of hundreds of people every month at our food ministry, though that is a good thing. We do that so that they might know that Jesus Christ has the power to forgive sin. That's what we have to share. Because if I simply fix somebody on this earth, if I fix them for a time and I leave them without the gospel, then they are still lost. Amen? We need to get it, folks. When you do those good things and you don't believe that person knows Jesus, don't miss the opportunity to tell them who He is. Jesus Himself did that. He said, I'm going to do this so that you might know that I have the power to forgive sin. That's why we do what we do. We'll see next time as we pick up that they were filled with prejudice. They were filled with just this desire to tear down everything that Jesus said. Well, we can prove it, you know. I read the, you know, I read the works of so and so, and I'm going to leave the names out. You know, and his explanation of the doctrine of the pre-tribulational rapture, I mean, it was so solid, and I mean, I'd share that with them, and I can't believe that they didn't come to Christ because I shared the rapture with them. Did you share that if you believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be saved? Because the rapture doesn't save. Creation science can't save anyone. Did you hear what I said? doesn't mean that that right doctrine isn't important. It's vitally important to the growth of a believer. But it is not vitally important to someone who's lost unless you share the gospel while you're doing it. Drives me nuts. 
Like Greg Laurie says, so many people do the whole play and they forget the punchline. Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen? To the glory of God the Father. That's what Jesus said. It's what He did. Rise up and walk. And while you're walking away, these guys over here that don't know me yet are going to look at what you're doing and going, whatever happened to Him, that's what I want. And Jesus said that He did it because He forgave His sins. Family of God, that's what we need to do. Waiting for some more time, they held their tongues. The silent criticism goes on. I I am guessing they thought, you know, kind of, what a cop-out. These fellows bring this paralytic in, and all he says to them is, your sins are forgiven. I mean, anybody can say that. Can you imagine when you meet that paralytic man in heaven, what he's going to be thinking and saying? I was the guy. I was the one on the mat that got let down through the roof. It was true. I believed. Now you know why Jesus said, it is enough that you believe. Nothing added to it. The religionists were probably saying, well, that's a slick trick. Can't prove it. I guarantee you that man's life proved what happened to him that day. As has yours, as has mine. Amen? Because they will see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Amen? So that they might believe on the only begotten Son of God that whosoever should do so would not perish but have everlasting life. Amen? Preach the gospel. Preach it with your life. Preach it as if your life depends on it. Give credit where credit is due. Amen? And that is to the one and only King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Great I Am, the Son of Man, the Son of God, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Becoming One, the One who is to you all that you will ever need. The one whose life was forfeit for yours. And if you haven't done that yet, that's the most important decision you'll ever make. Is to believe and to receive. That's why Jesus said, your sins are forgiven you. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, as we draw this service to a close, Lord, we just want to offer up an opportunity if there's anyone here this day that has never received you by faith and believed in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that you would convince of the truth of the gospel. And before they leave that this building this morning, that God, they would tell someone else and that they would pray and simply ask and invite, make that commitment that they are a sinner and they need a Savior. That apart from you, they can do nothing to save themselves. Lord, no amount of reason will get them. God, help us to always be busy about our Father's business. Jesus, that's what you did. That's what we want to do. And so, Lord, this morning, for your word, we thank you. We bless you, and as your people, we praise you. We ask all this in the blessed name of Jesus. Amen. Would you stand?